This is the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. We have your back with everything from games, lessons, and coaching. YouthworkerCollective.com. Having Marco here today is is really helpful. Um, and because for us, I think what, what could be helpful for us to process is a little bit is how we deal with this as youth workers and with our kids specifically. Um, I, I think most everybody here is aware of Marco. He's like, I, I kind of imagine him as, I, I feel like one day um, we will uh, we'll have some sort of moment where we, we're all trying to remember Marco. And I think he is, he's kind of the member of, he's like the mentor for the world's youth pastors right now. Um, and I, I, that's, I was trying to explain who he is to somebody the other day. And uh, that's how I told it. Uh, he's the mentor to the, to the world's youth pastors, either through writing a thousand books, things like 1500 or something like that now. And, uh, but also through his cohorts and, um, and then the youth, the youth cartel who has published some great books. I mean, there's two new books coming out that are really great that I'm going to ask Marco to explain to you. But right now, just today, it seems like uh, this book that that a couple of us wrote chapters for um, called "Youth Ministry in a Season of Disruption" uh, might be something good to put on your radar if it already wasn't there. Um, Three people on the screen wrote chapters for that. Yes, that's pretty yeah. amazing. <laughs> and it's a great book. Um, I have loved reading that book. And uh, it's, you know, 28 different, uh, you know, veteran youth workers looking at the season we're in, telling you the things that we have figured out and the things that we have completely failed at and giving you some guidance to, to experiment. But, but there's, there's these two other books I think it are totally like the opposite book almost <laughs> um the there's there's a like that are coming out called and uh and being young marco would you real quick just tell us about those two yeah thanks uh so jen bradbury if you're not familiar with her she is i think one of the best minds in the youth ministry world um and a brilliant writer she's written quite a few books now um and she wanted to write a book about calling and what that looks like for a youth worker and how to find the right fit in a church. Um, and we said, it's such an important topic. We're worried that people won't bother reading it. How about if you make it fiction? So she wrote this amazing fiction book, but kind of think of it like a Lenzioni book, right? It, it's fiction with a point, um, and so, yeah, the, so it's called, the subtitle is uh, A Novel About Youth Ministry Transition. Um, and that's coming out in a couple of weeks or a week and a half, something like that. Uh, and then shortly after that is Being Young. Uh, subtitle is A Biblical Theology of Youth. And it is a deep dive. I'm, I'd never seen something like this before. It was a, it's a deep dive on what is the Bible actually referring to when the Bible, when the word youth shows up? And then what is the overall perspective on youth as we understand those words and passages? Um, 
I'd probably say the basic premise is that the Bible sees youth as apprentice adults rather than big children, and that we need to do the same. That's probably the the primary thesis of the book. It's a little more of an academic book, um, but so I now we don't have to a, read it, right? Yeah, I will tell you that I learned so much reading this book the four times that I had to read it, developing wow. it. Um, and that's rare for me these days. Like there's often a lot of times when I read a youth ministry book that I find a new way to say something or I'm encouraged in a certain way, but I learned new things reading this book. What about the rest of us, right? So so how do we, in your practice, when you've got this massive thing that has happened um, and that is sort of unsettled in some ways the world, um, but definitely our country and um, their parents and them. Uh, how do you how do you move into that space? What do the students need from us in this moment? I guess I would uh, say a few things that are I think everybody else would say too. They need honesty from us and not spin. I mean that right. Not only are we in this. Uh, season of unrest it's just more spin than i I ever remember and Mm -hmm. it's all over the place so i think uh our kids need honesty without spin that doesn't mean you say everything you think right because there's right there's a real uh exercising of wisdom as a youth worker of um when does it become about me what I choose to share or when is it really about what's the loving and most helpful thing for that kid or anybody that I'm engaging with. Right. Um, so honesty, but, uh, tempered by wisdom. Um, I do think on so many topics and this was true so often this last year with the topic of racism. Um, but I think it, and while this current reality is probably not the same magnitude as that topic was, um, there are some similarities and, and there's some significant uh, racist subtext to how things are playing out over the last 24 hours too. Um, And I think that youth workers avoid talking about this kind of stuff with their kids for two, two primary reasons and probably a multitude of secondary reasons. The two primary reasons are they're afraid they won't know what to say. We think we have to know the right answer for stuff and the right phrasing and how to answer every question. And you just don't, it's a, that's a, it's a myth of ego. Um, And then uh, the other is because we're afraid of what trouble we'll get into because we know the expectations of the diverse group of parents or church leadership we have. Uh, and their desire that we avoid those conversations and their wrong belief that uh, our kids don't aren't ready for that kind of conversation. And again, I, I don't I don't pretend to tell you exactly what's the right way to proceed in your context, because I don't know your context. Um, but I do think we're called to honest conversation and engagement with teenagers. This is another one of those places I'm working on a little consulting project with another ministry right now that has to do, it's kind of a curriculum project I'll say. And, but it has to do with getting, getting teenagers to verbalize what they believe. 
And, you know, one of the things we've really learned from research in adolescent faith development over the last decade and a half is that, uh, I mean, it's kind of intuitively true too. kids. They just don't learn that much when we talk at them. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how good the talking at is or how true the content is, yeah. but they're massively formed by what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, sidebar, the book on that is by Amanda Drury. It's called saying is believing. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, this is another one of those places like, Maybe the opportunity here is in the reality that there are some things that are black and white, black and white on this. Like everybody can, almost everybody, everybody I know can say what happened yesterday was wrong. So that's black and white. But what do we do about it? How should we respond? There's a lot of gray in that and a lot of difference of opinion. This is yet another opportunity then for teenagers to verbalize what they believe, which right or wrong, it forms them. And too often we live in fear that if we say the wrong thing or if they say the wrong thing and we don't correct it, that they'll be formed incorrectly. And that's not how it works. That's really critical for us to understand. They, their faith becomes more sticky, to use the Fuller uh, Youth Institute term, um, when they talk about what they believe. But it doesn't, because they're still in the process of growing and developing it, it doesn't lock them into what they verbalized. That's why I've come to the point where I say regularly now, the verbalization of belief is more important than the accuracy of the belief. Mm-hmm. So maybe what I would say, Jeremy, is these, what happened yesterday and what's happening this month is an opportunity for conversation with teenagers about how their faith should inform what they believe about this. Don't just make it a political conversation, right? Uh, And to get them talking about that and ask your primary role, my primary role is to ask questions. Um, Marco, your your comments are super helpful because Something that that I've chewed on quite a bit in the course of youth ministry is uh, the idea of representation lag for young people. Uh, Mm. And that's where they do have the ability to form these opinions. And if they are fortunate to have a youth ministry or a church that welcomes their input, they might have a forum where they can say those things, verbalize and have their opinions shared. But then often the power structures that they're a part of don't allow for youth leadership or youth representation. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so for me, I'm I'm wondering um, in your own context and your own experiences, I I know I love laughing along with your posts about your volunteers with uh, experiences with your middle school group. Um, I I wonder in your context, are there there places where you feel like you and your co-leaders have been successful in terms of encouraging that verbalization, but then also some action to go along with those opinions and beliefs that they're forming? I mean, the the honest answer is no, but I have seen lots of other youth workers who are doing it. I think the maybe lame excuse I would give is that my church doesn't have, and I'm not employed by my church and uh, that my church does not have avenues for that. Um, So I try to promote it, 
uh, by talking about it with the power structures that be. Um, but the short answer is no, at my context, um, there hasn't been much of that. Um, I definitely have seen plenty of other people who are doing some really great things uh, in that way. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, can we, how can we get our congregational leadership to, to view teenagers as a, like the term I just use apprentice adults, apprentice adults. Right. Mm-hmm. I was, I was right. Thinking, so, right. um, in that way, and, and then in that, if you view them that way, then you say they have equal access to every position but with an understanding that we might need to walk alongside them a little bit. Yeah. So whether that is a role on stage leading worship or whether it is serving on a committee, right? We acknowledge that they are apprentices and need some help, but we give them equal access to all of that. And we don't treat them as even, you know, where churches go wrong and sometimes on something like that is they'll, They'll maybe put a, let's say they'll put a teenager on a, say a search committee or even the, you know, board or council that oversees the the youth ministry area, but they don't actually, uh, they either, they either treat them like a big kid. So they're like, you're the future of the church. So we want you here, but you're not empowered to actually do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I remember the church I grew up in when we became 13, we became official members of the church, but we were non-voting members until we were 18. <laughs> and uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think that would be one error. The other, the other error is to just assume that they don't need help. Right. Um, so yeah. Treat them yeah. as apprentice adults and give them full invite them into equal participation in all aspects of the church, but with a commitment to um, walking alongside them, giving them a second chance, encouraging them, correcting them, all of that stuff. Yeah. I had a guy in my, my junior high small group, uh, a couple of you have probably heard me mention him before. He is now a junior in high school. So he was in two groups ago. I had him for two years, seventh and eighth grade. His name was Noah. Uh, but I'm telling you, it was like somewhere during eighth grade that I turned to him once after I'd been with him for a year and a half and said, hey, just remind me, your name is Noah, right? And the reason for that was because on the very first time our small group met, he informed all of us that he wanted to be called Princess Dongus. And in all of the years that we were together, I never discovered why. In fact, I think he literally made it up on the spot. But everybody went with it. So we all called him for two years. We all called him either Princess Dongus or just it got shortened to Dongus. If you accidentally, like if some of the guys misunderstood and they called him Dingus, he would say, I have a Dingus. I am Dongus. <laughs> Um, and he was one of those junior high kids and you've all got these who, uh, it was a little hard for me to develop an affection for, (laughs) um, because 
he was destructive in every way. Uh, certainly and predominantly destructive in me being able to have anything productive happen in the space of the hour that our small group met. Um, he was, but he was destructive physically and destructive psychologically. And right, um, there was something I, I could tell there was a good kid in there somewhere. It's not like he was mean spirited, um, but uh, he was he was difficult. Now it's funny. Now he's, uh, I think he's six three or six four now as a junior in high school, and uh, he's seriously mellowed out. Um, so when I heard that my new seventh grade guys group this year had Dongus's little brother in it named Owen, I was very nervous. And the rumors, the rumors had come from the preteen ministry. Not only that he was in it, but that oh yeah you already knew Noah, you kind of know, you kind of already know Owen. Uh, and sure enough, man, every week, uh, I, he probably has some either diagnosed that I don't know about or undiagnosed uh, OCD or something like that. I mean, he can't sit still for more than a few minutes. We're meeting outside our small groups. And by San Diego standards, on a Wednesday night at uh, you know, 7.30 or 8 o'clock. It's chilly outside. Um, and, uh, you know, it's probably like, brace yourselves, it's probably like 58 degrees, which Ooh. for us is put on, put on your parka weather. Um, yeah, Owen can't sit still. His He's really intelligent. And so he knows how to answer the wrong way, Right. And it's not because he doesn't understand the question or he's just trying to get attention. He's trying to be subversive um, somehow. And I have to tell you, <clears throat> while he is driving me crazy every week, somehow I'm developing an affection for the kid. And I have to say it is absolutely a gift from God that I'm developing an affection for him because he's almost nothing but destructive in my group, right? I tell you that story because I am reminded of the kind of, I'm regularly reminded of the kind of heart that I need to have in order to have Owen in my group and have it be something that's beautiful. Um, and I was recently uh, looking at the, the story of um, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, um, a, a story that's familiar to all of you guys. And I had to say, I was familiar with that story of, you know, where they part ways, but I don't know. I somehow, I, I feel like I was familiar with all the little sub stories of this set of stories, but I'd never actually spent time thinking about the life of John Mark. Does that make sense? Um, who, you know, uh, we eventually later know as Mark the Evangelist, the author of the Gospel of Mark. But the first time, we meet John Mark, at least we think so, he's streaking, which I just find hilarious, right? <laughs> Clearly, it's a youth ministry story, right? Um, so you remember that really odd little story at the, uh, in the, the story of Jesus' arrest, only recorded in the book of Mark, uh, which is interesting, right? Uh, and there's this kid. 
I won't go into all the details of why we think this, but he was probably about junior high age at the time. And primarily because we know later when John Mark went uh, with uh, Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, he was a teenager at that point, probably an older teenager. Okay, So probably a junior higher age uh, was there uh, at Jesus' arrest. And for whatever reason, he was only wearing a loincloth. <clears throat> I think of Caleb in my small group who when it's 58 and I am out there in my, literally in my puffy jacket because it's so cold, um, Caleb is wearing a, a tank top and shorts, uh, right? So not being dressed for the occasion. So John Mark's wearing a loincloth. One of the guards tries to grab him and ends up grabbing the loincloth and John Mark runs away naked. That's, that's the whole story. It's, a, it's an odd little story. And um, I had not really... I, maybe I just completely missed this, but I I, I didn't realize that m- m- uh, a majority of um, experts in this believe that that is John Mark and that he's leaving out the self-identifier of saying it was me in his own gospel, but choosing to include uh, the story. So just a little framing. John Mark was the he was the teenage son of a follower of Jesus named Mary, not the Mary that you guys, not either of the main Marys, right? Uh, apparently, uh, John Mark lived uh, in Jerusalem with his mother, and their home was the gathering place for uh, members of the early church in Jerusalem. Um, in fact, uh, you remember the story of uh, when Peter was miraculously released from prison, he, Peter immediately went to Mary's home where the, uh, the believers were gathered uh, to pray. Uh, and then uh, John Mark would have been like really well acquainted with Peter and all of Peter's teachings and would have heard tons of stories about Jesus. Uh, in fact, in 1 Peter 3, uh, 5 to 13, we, we see that John Mark is with Peter in Rome and Peter refers to him as his son. Okay. So then the story that we're all familiar with, John Mark travels as an assistant with Paul and Barnabas on one of their missionary journeys, but he eventually leaves them and goes home to Jerusalem. We don't know the details. We don't know exactly why he left. I think we can infer some things by what we know about teenagers and the fact that uh, Paul indicates, clearly sees it as an immature move on John Mark's part. Um, At least for a number of years, uh, he writes him off, right? Uh, Paul goes one way and Barnabas with John Mark goes another way. Here's Here's that passage from Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphyla, 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 and had not continued with them in the work. Uh, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took uh, Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthened the churches. Okay. Now, who am I to knock Paul and the ministry impact? He had, at least not in this short amount of time. But Barnabas embodies the let's try it again heart of a youth worker. And this is the heart 
that I want to embody with someone like Owen in my group. Every week, I need to remind myself, I need to think ahead of time in preparation. And then I even need to sometimes say to Owen, let's try it again, which is in essence, what Barnabas was saying to John Mark. John Mark did blow it in a sense by deserting them and going back to Jerusalem, right? So it's, I'm not saying that what he did was the right thing and we should be dishonest about that, but that's part of treating them as an apprentice and an adult. It's saying, okay, here's my, maybe that wasn't the right choice or maybe that wasn't handled in the best way. So let me help you with that. And then let's try it again. Let's try it again. I continue to believe in you. Here's a, a silly little negative example. When I was uh, in uh, a sophomore in high school, uh, the, the high school pastor at my church was a guy named Gary. And of course, I was a good youth group kid and I wanted, uh, you know, him to like me, I guess is the simplest way to say it. We were at camp and he asked me to take a, a box of stuff to his car with him to help him carry stuff. And we went to his car in the parking lot. It was, uh, this would have been the seven, late seventies. So hatchback baby. So he opens his hatchback. He's bending in. I lower the hatchback Ooh. hoping that when he lifts his head, it'll, he'll bang the back of his head and it'll be really funny. It worked perfectly in that he did raise his head and bang the back of his head <clears throat> in the scope of things it was not a big deal right it's not like he was bleeding or had to go to the hospital or something like that but it was a stupid move on my part right an immature move on my part gary turned around to me rubbing his head looked me in the eyes and said great move oh striker and i can only tell you that the tone of his voice was pure disgust. And here's the deal, you guys. I did the math. What, what was it? It was 47 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I still not only remember it, I can still feel it. And I even get a little emotional when I say it. That's, and it's the only thing I remember about that youth worker. Literally. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure he did lots of great stuff, uh, and I'm not suggesting he should have praised my stupid choice, but I needed him to have a Barnabas heart and say, let's try it again. Teenagers are, we all know this, no big aha here. Teenagers are really struggling right now more than normal. They're anxious and they're lonely and they're stressed, and they're more isolated and disconnected than normal, and they're normally disconnected and isolated. And listen, because of that, they might desert you and run home to Jerusalem or whatever it is that they think will comfort them. Okay, let's try it again. Let's try it again. Years later, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. (laughs) Without Barnabas, this wouldn't have happened. Without Barnabas, we likely wouldn't have the gospel of Mark. So what teenager's bugging you right now or is a little bit lost to you right now who really needs to hear, okay, let's try it again. 
And then let's you and I pray that God will give us hearts like Barnabas. Amen. Amen. So how do we do that, Marco? Like, I completely agree. But in the midst of it all, how do we actually do that? So I'm happy to give some answers, but I also think that there is a lot of wisdom in this group, and I would love to hear other people answer that. Um, my, my first thought was just grace, just again and again and again and again and again, um, like breath, grace, always. Um, and I was thinking, I don't really have a teenager that's bothering me, but I think I'm bothering me. <laughs> um, so in terms of the message, let's try it again. I think it's for myself. Um, because God knows we've tried all kinds of things and, and some of them have worked and some of them have not. And so, especially with a new year, I'm like, let's try it again. Let's try it again. And just offer yourself some grace and everyone around you as much as possible. That's good. I was just thinking, continue to be there for them, whether it's a phone call or email or whatever. Yeah. For me, whatever uh, Johnny came to mind, your Owen was my Johnny and, um, it's a it's a pride thing for me it's i need to mm. let go of the pride of oh. that i'm holding on to that i need to 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 humble myself be humbled by that situation um whether that's shannon's problem with with trying and trying again and trying again with my own self or even with with kids who keep falling like to let go of the pride to let go of the ego really and um and just do what i need to do oh man that's a good word uh, not just for everybody else. That's a good word for me. Cause like part of my issue with Owen, if I'm honest, is that it feels like a lack of respect to me that he's acting that way. That's not his motive. I know that he doesn't have the maturity for that to be his motive, <laughs> right? He's not, he's not uh, complex enough in his thinking to have that be his motive. Yeah. But that's what it feels like. So it feels like a, uh, a personal affront uh, and I have to let go of that. Yeah. That's really good. I think too. So your, your Owen is my Jacob and several others, but Jacob is the first one that comes to mind. And um, what always helps me is just remembering a lot of the times the kids that give us these, these special little extras uh, are quite often the kids that they're not getting this somewhere else. There's something else going on. Mm. Um, and I hate, I hate to use the phrase they need it the most because all these kids need it yeah. equally, but, um, you know, there's just, it's, it's a little cry for something that's missing in their lives. And I always think yeah. back to Marco, I'm sure you remember, um, back in 2000, I think it was, there was a shooting at Santana, a high school just down the street from our church. And the, the young man that, that did the shooting, he lived in the apartments directly across the street from our church. And we just kept going back and forth. God, how could we not know? You know, he needed he needed help of some kind. How could we not be there for that for this for this young person? Um, so I just that's just always in my mind that they need our love even more. They need that grace um, that we're given every single day. That radical grace. We need to extend that to to these young people. Yeah. Good. Jeremy, uh, I would say in direct response to your question, to me, it's, uh, I mean, the obvious answer, no huge insight here. First, it's a mindset driven by our theology to go back to what Shannon said, right? But so first it's a mindset and then it has to be followed up with action. So how do I do this? 
every Wednesday night when I'm getting ready for my small group, I need to prepare myself with, I'll say the mind of Christ, right? I, and I need to specifically go in with an awareness. This is just exercising wisdom that Owen and Caleb, he's the guy who wears the um, lack of clothing in the cold weather. And he's just as destructive, um, but less intelligent than Owen. Um, and uh, I know I'm going to have a challenge with those guys. And if we get anywhere good in the hour of our small group, it'll be in the last 15 minutes. So that's what I'm always hoping, hoping for. Right. Um, but I need to go in with a mindset of, I want to embrace the heart of Christ to these guys. And it is not my agenda. Right. I mean, I have an agenda, but it, my agenda should not be about me. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, I know my buttons are going to get pushed. I need to choose the right course of action when that happens. <laughs> Right. All, all of that kind of right. stuff. So go in. It, it's a mindset first driven by theology. And then yeah. it's action in the moment, too, of course. Um, and a big part of it, I kind of uh, just hat tipped this when I was first telling you about Owen is I have been praying since the beginning of the year when I first met these guys. God, give me a an affection for these particular guys. Mm -hmm. Not just give me a heart for that. I need to. I need to be, I need to feel warm about them. Like I need to somewhere inside me really enjoy them. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of been my prayer. And I do, I'm living in this tension now where I have great affection for them and they drive me nuts. And it's going to be a long two years with them in my group, but I can't wait to see who they become. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think when you talk about that mindset, one of the things that helps me is to not forcefully forget all of those mistakes I've made in the past. I, I think that I, we have kind of rose colored glasses often towards what's happened before, but keeping yeah. a couple of those stories like you were talking about in mind so that I am aware of the damage that I have done before <laughs> it helps me keep that, keep myself refocused and aware of like my own pain and insecurities and all that stuff that, that end up making me act the way that I'm not wanting to act. Um, yeah. I, I think that, I think that it's important. And, and I know that for me, it's been helpful to write some of those down that I, I use it. Obviously I write books in youth ministry space. So it's really helpful to write those down that, that way, but it helps me to write some of those things down because in right for me in writing some of those down, it actually, it's easy to easier to recall it. And, uh, and so yeah, that helps, I think as well, keeping that mindset is not, not being like, you know, we've been doing this for five, 10, 20, whatever years. And it's been awesome so far. I've had some great experiences <laughs> and I've ruined things a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Marco, thank you so much for um, being with us today. Uh, of course. It's been wonderful as always.